morning, Thrive. And good morning to our um, those who are tuning in on the airways. Is that what I say? Over the internet. Let me tell you something so that we're getting honest this morning. I'm Pastor Stan, okay? I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm privileged to be here. Every time I hear the band in Thriver and Crosswalk, I think, man, I want to be in that band. I can play the guitar. (laughs) And when I hear Scott and Reagan preach, they are so funny, aren't they? And they are so poignant with their messages, right? So relevant. Give them a hand. I'm not funny. And uh, in fact, I do not like this sermon series we're in for the next three weeks. They wrote it. The young ones, they make me preach them. I didn't like their sermon text for the day, so I changed it. I'm not in a very good mood. I have a simple message today and a very complex challenge. We can't gather no matter what the sermon series was supposed to be today and not recognize that Sunday while we were all worshiping safely here in Dallas, something horrendous happened south of here and outside of San Antonio. And I want to say how much I appreciate the fact that in our worship services today, we're, we're remembering, we're praying for those who are grieving right now. We're recognizing our veterans. Thank you for your service. In the traditional services, there are lots of veterans. And we're doing a big thing with veterans today. But I would say to the veterans and to all of us as both Christians and also people of faith, that people who serve in the armed services, they're there to protect our freedoms. Freedom of speech and the Second Amendment, right to bear arms. Now listen, you don't talk like I do and come from East Texas and be a raving liberal, okay? There are nearly 300 million guns in this country. Somebody said there's a half a billion guns in this country. I don't know, but I've done my fair share. I've got them. But it is irresponsible for us to just go on like nothing ever happened related to guns. It is time for us to demand that we get over these divides, get over this partisan crap. Sorry. I tell you, I'm in a bad mood. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's not even completely a gun issue, but it is a gun issue. We need to quit bowing to a lobby that tries to make us think that somehow or another some some politician in charge could confiscate 300 million guns. Boy, if that's not a crock of it. And you know, a a few years ago, um, a few years ago, we started holding bars and bartenders responsible for giving people drinks when they'd had too much, right? Well, listen, I know that alcohol is not one of the amendments, okay? So don't write me a letter. 
But I think that there needs to be some laws put in place, at least bump stocks. My gosh, they were this close, you know, or were they? And those who distribute need to be held responsible. They need to have licenses that are costly. Anyway, I'm not going to get political today, okay? But I'm going to tell you, I'm writing my senators and representatives. And you do what you think is right for you, because we're not going to tell you what's right for you. But to do nothing, but only to pray, which is a lot, is not enough. So, before I read the scripture this morning, I want to read an article, okay? We're going to talk about the Great Commission today, and you're going to wonder how on earth I'm going to get there. Headlines, bomb threats at more than a hundred Jewish community centers, dozens of mosques vandalized and attacked, shootings at churches across the country on the rise. Now reading the headlines, you might get the impression that sacred spaces are increasingly unsafe and that religion itself is under attack in America. The attack on November the 5th targeted more than a single congregation, wrote one prominent Southern Baptist, it was an assault on Christianity itself. But most attacks at houses of worship aren't really about religion, experts say. And even with the steady rise of shooting and hate crimes, spiritual sanctuaries remain among the more secure spots to spend a Sunday morning. I wish to... He'd have said something like, not on the golf course or not in the boat. <laughs> it's very safe to go to church on Sunday, said Dallas Drake, a criminologist at the Center for Homicidal Research in Minneapolis. There are very few incidences, but there are, they are all high profile when they occur. Drake likened church shootings to mass murders at schools. They are horrific because of who and what they target but they are also relatively rare. Police said, this was not racially motivated. It wasn't over religious beliefs, said Freeman uh, Martin, a regional director for the Texas Department of Public Safety. There was a domestic situation going on in a family related to in-laws, and it occurred. In 17% of church shootings, listen to this, the attacker felt unwelcome or had been rejected by the church. So if you want to be a little more unsafe on Sunday, get real hardcore. Drake said 12% of the shooters suffered from a mental illness. 12%. You thought all of them were crazy. And those statistics support with more recent data from Carl Chen, a church security consultant based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Chen has collected data on more than 1,600 deadly force incidences uh, since 1999 at all houses of worship, including mosques and synagogues. 
Chin found that more than 10% of all homicides at houses of worship involved mental illness. Religious bias accounted for 6%. Both Chin and Drake found that deadly attacks at houses of worship have increased in recent years. And looking more broadly at all violence at all houses of worship, Chin has tallied more than 250 incidences uh, each in 2015 and 2016. And through August, there had, has already been 173 this year, according to Chin. That, of course, does not include Sutherland Springs Massacre. The shootings are part of an overall and alarming increase in mass shootings within the country at large. And in some ways, Drake said, houses of worship are simply the most convenient ven uh, venue for attackers who harbor grudges against former lovers, spouses, or friends. Many sanctuaries have regular schedules, lack robust security, and proudly bear open door policies. Churches are designed to attract the least and the lost and to welcome them into a loving community, even if that sometimes has terrible consequences. And my question this morning, are we going to change? I'd like for us to stand for the reading of the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, now, we're not finished with the Great Commission, but you may be seated or your legs are going to get tired. Jesus said, go into all nations, or go into all the world, as some translations say. Go to people who aren't like you, in other words. Jesus is telling us to do something that is not comfortable, it is not safe, and he's telling us to break out of our comfort zones. If you're going to take the Great Commission seriously, you're going to go to all people. All, all people. And that may make us uncomfortable sometimes. You know, I'm going to preach at Heart of Africa Fellowship later on, uh, on today. And I remember when the Ebola crisis was going on, and, and people knew that we had so many Liberians here, they were so afraid that... That, that, that we're going to have a big outbreak here at Lover's Lane. That, that didn't cause us to put up a sign that said, No Liberians today. There are people who get uncomfortable in church knowing that they may be seated beside someone who was ministered to while they were in prison. When they got out, they came. I've heard people express a concern that we have such a dynamic 12-step ministry that ministers to so many hundreds of people. It was reported at the banquet a few days ago that 44,000 different people dealing with addictions have come through the CSD in the course of the year. 44,000. And you know what? A lot of those are dealing with all kinds of addictions, including sexual addictions. 
And that makes some people uncomfortable. Does that mean that we're to put out a sign that says, oh, all nations, that really didn't mean those kind of people. You see, when we take the Great Commission seriously, we're not dealing with safe issues. We're dealing with issues that cause, cause us to go out of our comfort zones into all nations, all the world, all people, as we say here at Lover's Lane. We better move on. See, a lot of people think the Great Commission is this part of the Great Commission. You can put the scripture back up if you want to. For this part of the Great Commission is the focus point where Jesus said, Go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, baptizing is our way of marking Christians. All of us who are Christian have been baptized at some point in time. Some church, and here at the uh, United Methodist Church, your baptism accepted no matter where that baptism came from. We're not going to rewash you around here. Because it's the same symbol. Did you know that, that when Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Trinitarian formula, did you know that this is the only place in all of the Scripture that it is named in that way, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? And yet everything we do in the church, we do in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit related to our ritual. Wow. So when Jesus is saying mark people, this is the way we understand it. We mark in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because we are ones who believe primarily in one God, in three persons that moves in our lives and that we relate to. And we mark our sisters and brothers no matter what age because the symbol is on God's act of love. Now listen to this. If you're one day old or if you're a hundred years old, the symbol is the same. Before you ever loved God or before you ever knew there was a God or whether or not you ever loved God, God loved you. Wow. Are you capable of that kind of love? I'm not. And so we mark with the symbol of water in new life saying that this child, no matter what age, is first loved by God, it doesn't have anything to do with your decision. It's God's decision. That's why we baptize infants, youth, adults. And we mark using three modes of baptism. We sprinkle because in Ezekiel, uh, God speaks through the prophet and said, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be pure. Therefore, sprinkling is the right way to do it. Well, not really. Because we also pour water on the heads of those who choose to have that symbol given. And we do that in keeping with what Joel said in the second chapter, I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young will see visions. And that symbolizes the Holy Spirit. So we have God, the Holy Spirit, and we also immerse. Did you know we immerse here? When we started emphasizing baptism back a few years ago, when we got the shepherd's garden and we could actually immerse here and not have to go down the street, people said, they're starting to be like a Baptist church. And I said, no, we're starting to be like a Methodist church. Because immersion symbolizes 
the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful symbol. And so in those three modes that we embrace, so whether you were immersed or sprinkled or had water poured on your head, we accept that because we believe that that is a symbol of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll do all three if you want them. Now take note, because this is the second part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not over with the baptism, and sometimes we think it is, and so often we don't read further to the completion of what the Great Commission is. And the Great Commission ends this way. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teach them everything that I have commanded you, Jesus said. And remember, I am with you till the end of the age. That's what these classes are all about. Y'all got literature this morning about classes. These classes are about that second part of the Great Commission. Teaching them to believe everything I have commanded you. And what did Jesus command, you might ask? Well, a lot, but I'm just going to give us a few little samples today. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus said, love one another as you would like, would want to be loved. And then Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And do you realize that Jesus was crucified for you? Jesus died for you. And he said, you love one another like I have loved you. Now, if that's not raising the bar on love, I don't know what is. And Jesus said, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I wished he hadn't said that. But he did. He commanded it. Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, you turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you for your coat, just go ahead and give them your cloak too. This isn't safe. No greater love has anyone than this. That the person would lay down his or her life for a friend. No greater love, Jesus said. And then he did it. Laid down his life for you and me. For all the world. For all people. For all nations. For all time. I want to ask you a question. Did anybody this morning wake up and, 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 and think, uh, I wonder if I'm going to be safe at church this morning. Did anybody do that? Come on, I know you did. Somebody did. Somebody thought about it. I've thought about it this week. Did anyone think if I go to church I might be risking my life? Anybody think that? Well, you are. Really. I mean, you may not be in danger of a shooter this morning. I mean, we have armed guards here helping us cross the street and in the building. And that's perhaps a deterrent. But, but I'm talking about your risk in being changed and converted by being here. I know because I have been and am. 
I get changed and converted by this church, by the way the Holy Spirit works through this church. Do you? We've received two members this morning. They've been changed and converted, I dare say, by this church, and you've been changed and converted by them being here. See, church shouldn't be safe. It shouldn't be the place you go so you can get comfortable. It should be a place you go and you leave a little bit anxious. Because the Holy Spirit has never called somebody to go the easy route. I don't think so. This week, the talk in the church world has been about the Great Commission. Not about the Great Commission. It's rather been about how churches need to be safe. Really. We preachers across the country have heard issues about safety raised and the question, what if a shooter came to your church on Sunday morning? Are you ready? Even our bishop wrote a letter encouraging us to go to church because churches are safe. Don't stay home because you're afraid because I guess the bishop has heard from people in the North Texas Conference and, and I, want you, I want to say this, I believe in safety and I believe in being smart and that's why we have guards here on Sunday and that's why we're going to have a, a little briefing of our ushers to learn how to deal with emergencies. We've had to deal with an emergency in here recently. We need to make sure that the people who are in charge of, of order are, are, are ready to deal with emergencies including a shooter. But the real question is, does the Great Commission cause us as a church to be safe? The mission statement of the United Methodist Church is make, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Have you ever known our world to need more transformation than it needs today? What we do is make disciples. That's the Great Commission. We baptize disciples. When we start talking about teaching them everything Jesus commanded, we're starting about transforming the world if we're going to be serious about that. If we break out of our safety zones and get serious about that. The mission is bold and it's aggressive and it is not safe. It's not safe. Going to church and being the church should not be first known as safe. Rather, I believe that the task entrusted to the Christian church is most important to be out on a limb, or as our first pastor used to constantly remind our foremothers and fathers here at Lover's Lane, the church's call is to be up a tree and out on a limb. Not safe. When we spend our time answering questions that no one is asking, church, while neglecting the deepest concerns of the human spirit, we as a church are living safe. And the world out there is not interested in us dealing with questions that nobody is answering, and the church so often does just that. 
And when we use our time and energy and resources doing things that really don't need to be done, solving little inconsequential problems, while neglecting the open sores of a hurting world, we have become too safe and too focused on us. And when we jump on the bandwagon of popularity and exhaust ourselves doing what other groups in society are doing and neglecting that which only the Christian church can do, too safe. When we are afraid because there are too many people of color coming to Lover's Lane, United Methodist Church, when we are afraid that there are too many people dealing with addictions that may not be uh, recovered yet, when we are... Um, when we are afraid that there are too many people getting out of, of, of prison and finding their, uh, their place on a pew with us, when we are afraid that we're dealing with people who have different sexual orientations than we have, when we are afraid, then we are too safe. When the church lives too safe, we're in danger of what I read a cynic said about the church. I hope we never own this one. It's a little company of people on a side street singing ditties about heaven. Whoa, that hurts. And don't think there are not millions of people out there who think just that about what we are about. And we know better. Now hear me loud and clear this morning. Trivial pursuit is a game that we dare not play as a church. The need's too great. All around us, people are searching for answers. There are those of you here today, you're here because you're searching for answers and for a sense of direction. Looking for a foundation to build on. There are people out there looking for a foundation to build, not their house, their spiritual home themselves. They're looking for a foundation to build on. And I earnestly believe that we in the Christian church have been entrusted with the very reality for which people are searching. And what they're looking for is the God who was revealed in Jesus. The same God in Jesus who gave us all of those commands that are so unsafe, so risky, so right. And the church that starts living into the truth of that, you get so hungry that you want people to come here because this is where you're getting fed, this is where you're learning about those commandments that you invite and you invite and you invite because it means so much to you and then we're fulfilling the Great Commission. If we're not providing a connection between people and God, then friends, we're traveling too safe. I'm going to close with this image. This week, in thinking about, oh, this was a tough message. Not only did we get off to a bad start with a bad series and also bad scripture text. Oh. It was a hard sermon. This isn't what I wanted to talk about. But I thought about a book 
that was written by an Anglican Episcopalian, not Anglican, priest named Wes Seliger. Wes was in Houston when I was in Houston back shortly after the earth's surface cooled. And we were there addressing the same sorts of issues. And Wes wrote a little book called One Inch from the Fence about pitching a marshmallow to an alligator at the Houston Zoo. And he wrote a book just filled with these one or two page little faith stories that are zingers to some degree to the church and 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 I remembered something he read and I went back and I read it again I remembered how he talked about his love for motorcycles here's an Episcopalian priest you got it who loves motorcycles and he was he was talking about being in a motorcycle shop one day and he was drooling over a huge Honda 750 I don't even know what he's talking about and he was wishing that he could buy it And a salesman came up to him, he reports in his little book, and began to talk about the bike as only a salesman could. You talk about speed, you talk about acceleration, you talk about racing, I'm telling you, this bike will do it. You get excited when you hear the growl of the pipes on this bike, and I'm telling you, when you rev it up racing, that's what you do. And I want to tell you, cute chicks like guys who ride motorcycles. Excuse me. And then the conversation got around to what do you do? Oh, I know the feeling. Oh, gosh, I know the feeling. Oh, how am I going to tell him? Wes said, well, I'm a, I'm a clergyman. I'm a minister. I'm an Episcopalian priest. He said that the Salesman changed his tone, got real quiet and holy, and said, you know, Father, these things get great gas mileage, total visibility, nothing in your way. And they're much safer than some people think. And quite practical, I might add. And Wes said, Lawnmower salesmen are not surprised to find a clergyman looking over their merchandise. Motorcycle salesmen are. Why? Does this tell us something about the popular image of a clergyman or of the church? Motorcycle or lawnmowers are slow and safe and sane and practical and middle class. You mow your yard? Motorcycle are fast and dangerous and wild and thrilling. Then Wes asked the question, is the Christian life more like mowing the lawn or like riding a motorcycle? Is the Christian life safe and sane or dangerous and exciting? The common image of the church is pure lawnmower, slow, deliberate, 
and plotting. Our task is to take the church out on the open road, give her the gas, and see what the old baby will do. I think he's right. I I really do think he's right. If If we're coming here just because it makes us feel good, in things that we really should be insecure about. It's a nice place to have our children. Your children are very safe, I might add. Very, very safe. I'm serious. We take that very seriously. But this place is meant to be a place that challenges us week after week after week so that we can bring our children up first and foremost. That's the greatest commission that we have is to bring our children up in the ways and the commandments of Jesus. And in a day when there are crazy, unspeakable things that happen, as a church we might start To really live into what that commission is all about. Going into all nations. All the world. People who aren't like us. Too. And making sure the door is always open. And that they know how welcome they are. Because we're all sisters and brothers. Marked with the baptism. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're called to teach everything Jesus has commanded us to teach. Radical as he was, he was so right. Because the world is searching for this and find your comfort and your safety only in believing how Jesus ended the commission you're not in this alone the Holy Spirit brings us together and I will be with you Always, every second, and every day, until the end of the age. With a partner like that, I think it's time to give the old church the gas and see what the old baby will do.